We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today, we're going to talk about the Lakers' big man rotation. Of the many ways that we could write a eulogy for last year's Lakers team, one of the, I think, under-discussed points is that at many times, we only had one, and sometimes no, players over 6'8", aside from LeBron and AD, who were any good. And LeBron and AD, one of them missed about 70% of the season. And that is something that's so basic and foundational to basketball, D, that you can have like decent to good pieces everywhere else, but it's like the car doesn't have any tires on it. You need tall people to be a good basketball team and have a certain level of competence at that. Both the players that we have in those positions now and their slightly different skill sets than the guys that played last year is one of my biggest reasons for optimism this year. And that's why today I want to talk about Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones and kind of what they add to the team. Our deficiencies in the front court is something that you spotted early on. Uh, you focused on the forward position in particular, but the fact that our bigs were bad in different ways and for different reasons and we had injury issues kind of compounded, I think, an existing issue that that you saw last year, D. And so talk to me a bit about that last year as a basis of comparison to kind of start off this conversation of what we needed from our bigs last year that we didn't get. To be fair to everyone. I think we all acknowledged at the time, too, that like the bigs weren't high quality bigs, right? I think we had a certain level of expectations for Dwight Howard. I had negative expectations for DeAndre Jordan. And that played out the way that I think many of us expected. And one of the reasons why I think I was focusing on the forwards, too, is just because the best lineups were going to likely be with LeBron closing at power forward. Or, you know, being a forward and AD playing center. And so the guy who could slot between them was going to be super important. In looking forward to this year, that's still true. But the higher quality your other big men are, the more versatility you can then pull out of LeBron and AD. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because they are the two most versatile players on the roster, and they would be across basically 90% of the rosters in the entire league, right? Like, oh, Anthony Davis, you can do so much. LeBron, you can do so much. And so what you really need then are guys who are capable of playing anywhere between 12 and 25 minutes a night. If I could jump in on that point real quick, too, I think that that speaks to that deficiency that we had on the team, that idea LeBron and AD could do so much. Well, we don't have anybody who could do big man things. And so they were asked to do a lot of those. They were. And that's why LeBron played so much center last season, not just because of the injuries. It's because LeBron was worlds better at so many of the things you would want your center to do than DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard. Right. And like that's why when the Lakers got Wenyan Gabriel, it was almost like, oh, look, a revelation, a big guy who can run and jump and rebound and space to the corner. And like these aren't like superhuman things, Mike. These are things that you basically want any front court player um, to be able to do. The bigger that guy is, the better. But it's just like there's just a baseline level that I think the Lakers needed last season and they didn't get it. And in kicking it to you, like, I think they're way better positioned to get that this season from Bryant and Jones. Both of these guys, too, are former Lakers. And, and so Bryant much further in the past, right? Like he's had several years now in Washington, but there's also a familiarity with these players in terms of their skill set that I think allows us to be in a better position to look at them than, I mean, honestly, than Lonnie Walker or a Troy Brown, right? Guys mm-hmm. who are from another team who we haven't seen as much or didn't sort of follow in, in a tertiary way because they were former Lakers. Cause I love to keep my eye on, Hey, what's this former guy doing? And I think Brian and Jones, they intrigue me in that way. But I also think it it allows us to look at them with clearer eyes, too, and and not and sort of see some of the deficiencies earlier in order to plan for those, because I think that that's an important part of this process as well. Mm-hmm. Well, for, starting with Bryant, you know, I think Pete's made the point before that his skill set in the optimized Thomas Bryant probably fits best next to Anthony Davis in that if you're going to do that four or five, and especially with LeBron out there because of the shooting and because of the energy and some other things. And I agree what I want to see. And I'm already starting to you know send some of those text messages. To some of the guys that have been in the building, like, Hey, is Brian in there yet? Like, what are you seeing? You know, how's he moving? Cause he's only played about 700 minutes in the last two seasons combined. Right. So it's, it was 10 games wow. in 2021 and 27 games last year, but his minutes were really low last year. And of course, they were bringing him back conservatively from that ACL tear. So, on the one hand, yes, like you're getting a, a, a you're getting a big there with Bryant that you can you can picture some things that he's going to be able to do a lot better than what the Laker bigs last year were, where Dwight's legs just weren't going to work, that just weren't there, and DeAndre's haven't been there for a while. And so that's that's one thing. But I, in Darius parlance, need to see that. You know, I need to see that. In yeah. training camp, I need to see that in the preseason games and before I just bake that in to what we're going to get in the regular season. Mike, how much more confident are you in his ability to move around the floor and his mobility that it's like the second year now 
coming off of the ACL because I know that that's typically the year where guys start to resemble themselves a little bit more rather than that first year back. And like you said, his minutes were sort of reduced last season, both because of him coming back from injury, but also because Gafford was a key part of their rotation. And then they got Porzingis in the trade. And so there wasn't a lot of minutes for him. Yeah. But are you feeling like last year wasn't necessarily indicative of what he could be this season with a bigger load, just from a physicality standpoint? Because I know the injury stuff is often concerning when it comes to a big guy in general. Yeah, physicality, I actually feel good about that. Phys- the, the way that he is going to move physically and the amount of rehab that he's done, the distance that he's had from the injury, I feel good about that. It's just that he hasn't played a lot of basketball and a lot of high-level basketball, and especially coming in, and that wasn't a high-level basketball team last year, just in Washington. Not that the Lakers were, but when they had LeBron and AD on the court, right, which is the, that's the type of basketball, the type of level that you're going to ask him to be at in game one, that's the stuff that, I, that I'm trying to give him some time to get to. But switching to Jones for a second, Jones has played at a pretty high level. Like he's done things at a pretty high level. He's, he's uh, set a screen and rolled to the rim hard caught a lob and dunked it like he's he's rotated back and been the low man and come over to block shots he's grabbed rebounds like he's he's played sort of his game unimpeded now for a little bit and it was 56 games last year he started 15 of them it was 18 minutes per game that's significant playing time you know it's not great but that's what you're Pete when you have Anthony Davis on your roster that's what you're asking your center to play right you're not necessarily asking for more than that and so that's the part where I'm Skills, it's kind of getting back to that discussion we had before where coming into training camp, I'm like, I'm a little bit more sure of what I'm going to get from Jones, which I like. But all Brian has to do is establish some of that right in camp. And hopefully he's been at the facility, some establishing some of that already with the coaching staff. And he's getting into some of the film and he's getting head start on what Darvin Ham's expectations are of where he's going to be. I just don't know that yet. And there and that's where the level of skepticism is coming. No, I feel you on that. And the idea that there's probably more reliability in Jones makes a lot a lot of sense to me. I think TB is in some ways an upside play. He wouldn't be available for a vet min contract if he played 60 games last season because his skill set as a guy who can stretch the floor but is also big, like a lot of stretch fives are kind of light in the back pocket, as, as Chick used to say, right? They're going to get bumped around. I remember Wenyon last year. I remember DeMarcus Cousins on a couple plays just buried him, right? And like Wenyon has no chance against that kind of guy. And one of the things about TB and his place on this roster is – the bigs that AD is weakest against, like there's nobody he's bad against, but the bigs that he has the hardest time with are the really big physical guys, the Jokic, the Embiid, the the really, you know, big guys like that. And so TB has the ability to absorb and bang with guys down there and does it with this verve. I've loved going back and watching him on tape. D. You were talking about the value of watching a player on a day-to-day basis and Jones and Bryant, neither guy are strangers to us because we did see them on a day-to-day basis, even for just small stretches. So we have more of an idea. Going back and watching 
video on on TV that I loved. He loves basketball. That's something that just shines through. He's a guy that when you're around him, he's in a good mood. He's one of those people that really kind of brings up spirits. I wasn't around Damian Jones, but that's actually something I've heard as well is that Damian Jones is one of the best dudes to come through here in the last few years. And I think that there's a great deal of value in the big position in the in the five spot in particular, getting us through the season. And that has to be an availability, but also a certain amount of verve and spirit that I think that guys like both TB and Jones bring to the table. But Brian in particular, if he can stay healthy, guys, I think that he's a the high risk, high reward guy on the team. But I do see where you're coming from, Mike, on Jones being the guy who can kind of carry us throughout more of the season. There's more reliability there. All right. So Darius, you're Darvin Ham for a second. Rotation wise, are you trying to start the season with the 10 man and you're saying one of these guys is going to start, let's say it's Bryant, the other guys, but the other guy's playing off the bench, at least for limited minutes. Or are you trying to fill those minutes with AD and the bench minutes and to some extent LeBron even for the, the bench? Like what's your, what's your ideal going in? I always look at rotation questions as, especially on a team with the Lakers, um, with LeBron and AD who do have some of that positional versatility is this is a battle between one of the other centers and one of the other wings or guards, basically, right? That's where I'm looking at the battle. Um, And so right now, I don't know enough about the Brown, um, Walker, uh, even like THT, Austin. How does all of that shake out? How many of them are even on the team? And... So right now, I'm just like, well, I know how Bryant's skill set helps. I know how Jones's skill set helps. I'm coming into the season thinking those two guys, plus AD, plus LeBron, those guys are all going to play a role, right? And maybe the starting center plays 18 to 22 minutes, and maybe the backup center plays 10 to 15 minutes. Right. And they're all wrapped around this idea of LeBron and AD are both going to get minutes at um, for sure at power forward. And AD is also going to get some some minutes at center. And, And so if I'm ham, the competition is like I'm still thinking about who's going to start. And some of that is going to be based off of who's playing at point guard and who and what the rest of the lineup is. But I get that Bryant is the better fit on paper. I get that he offers a lot of stuff in terms of physicality. He's a heavier dude. He's seemingly a sturdier guy. Um, I could imagine him being a better like one-on-one defender in certain situations. But like, look, man, the Lakers are going to want to protect the rim and they're going to want to run. And I look at Jones and I'm just like, oh, look, a run and jump athlete who's seven feet and can catch lobs and can run to the front of the rim. He can space to the corner. He can play in the dunker spot and he's going to attack blocked shots. That's what he's going to do. Like he is a known quantity. And so while I agree with Pete that Bryant's upside is higher, I would love to see Damian Jones play next to Anthony Davis and LeBron James and see what his upside looks like playing in a front court at a level that he's never played with because that vertical spacing next to a LeBron and an AD when they draw so much attention from big players 
the players who are going to be helping on LeBron and AD when they're going to the basket, they're not going to be guards. They don't see guards. Right. They see big dudes. And so how many dump off passes for dunks is Jones going to get? Or how many high low actions can Jones be the recipient of where it's not a gap? I have to dribble and gather and dunk. It's like, no, I'm at the top of the square. And that's where I'm playing. Pete has talked a ton about the Air Force, right? Well, Mm -hmm. Damian Jones, he was an extra in Top Gun. (laughs) He could see the top of the square. And so I'm, I'm intrigued by what that level of athlete can look like next to LeBron and AD. And so I'm still looking for a competition there. That was JaVale a couple of years ago. We had this idea in mind that DeAndre Jordan was going to play the JaVale role, apparently, like, no, JaVale is like a guy who plays hard every single possession. He jumps out of the gym. He catches anything that's in his radius. He's going to give you effort on the defensive end, even if he makes the he'll make a recognition mistake or a technical mistake. This fits Jones's defense as well. I actually like Jones a lot more on offense than I do on defense, but he's going to give you that effort and that live body athleticism that if you're going to provide vertical spacing, you got to do it like that. Like Darius is talking about top of the square, Mike, right? Not this. I'm going to start rolling to the basket when my guards are already halfway to the hoop on his drive. It's Jones is that kind of live athlete. And I hear where you're coming from about you having just kind of more faith in, in his ability to contribute. So let's take a break. When we come back, let's get more into Jones's game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So Damian Jones started to establish himself uh, after you know bouncing around a lot uh, his first several years, right? He started semi-consistently with Golden State, but then he goes to Atlanta, has a quick stint in Phoenix, then the Lakers pick him up, and then, of course, he goes to the Kings. And just looking through some of his per 36, because he's never played a ton of minutes, but his per 36, you know, his numbers are pretty good, but you always have to be careful with guys like that when you when you just put their numbers up to a 36. It's, it's kind of like, well, I don't like the PER stat in a lot of ways because it just favors guys that can play hard in sort of short stints. And then you're just going to you're going to assume that that production carries forward through the course of the game. So, you know, he's never going to play 36 minutes because there are some deficiencies. And I think Pete has just pointed out some of them on the defensive end and, you know, what he sort of thinks he's out there to do versus what the coaching staff might want him to be doing, you know, at times. And so that's something that I'm curious to to get a little bit more from the coaching staff. But I'm the way that I'm just initially looking at him in is as simple as we've seen how what you guys just discussed, the JaVale McGee or the more pep in his step Dwight Howard can complement as a vertical threat when all of the attention is going to two star players. And that I, that I think is something that we can hone in on. But I also like the thought of him evolving at least some as this stretch shooter. And it's just that, is he going to be able to hit enough to have defenses really adjust to that as opposed to just kind of, okay, you take some and they're open. And then if they, if they don't hit, you know, then it's, they're running the other way. So it's, it's a, it's just an element though, that I'd, I'd like to see, but I'm the thing that I'm zeroing in on the most is the lob threat part of the offense and the screen setting part of the offense that he can get. Mike, the, potential for him to space to the corner. That was a discussion that you and I had on a pod earlier this summer. And we had talked about the history of the Bucks and Robin Lopez being a sort of archetype for this idea. Brooke. Right. And no, Robin. Robin. Oh, yes. Okay. When Robin played. Well, we started with Brooke because I, he had started shooting oh, right, right, the right. year before. But then Darius brought up Robin, right? Who you, yeah. Yeah. And so Robin had played, look, Robin's a longtime player in the league. If you look at his three-point shooting numbers, they were basically low. Like he never shot threes ever, 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 ever. Then he played for the Bucks for a season and he was his brother's backup. And suddenly his three-point shooting ramped up considerably. Okay, you're taking one or one and a half a game, right? And so maybe he took 100 threes that season, right? Or 80-something threes. But that's coming off of career highs before of like seven in a season or eight in a season, right? And so I'm wondering if that's something that Ham is going to adopt and that Ham is going to show faith in, in his big guys to shoot those shots at all because it's an intriguing concept if you're going to play a four-out, one-in system and... A lot of times the one in guy is going to be LeBron or AD because they're guys who operate so close to to the basket or you want to optimize them near the painted area and and creating post ups and drives in 
to post ups. And, and so it's just an interesting thought there. And so, and so, Pete, you weren't on that pod that Mike and I were discussing. Is this just us making stuff up? Nope. Because th- these are interesting questions that Ham, I, I'm go- I'd love to hear what Ham has to say about things like that. Because Dwight wanted to shoot threes last year and Frank Vogel was just like, nah, <laughs> buddy, get on your horse downhill and try to get in the paint and be a lob threat and at least offensive rebound. And so what are the coaches asks are important here as well. They really are. And I think this brings us back to the beginning of last season. Remember um, all of the conversations about the decisions that you force a defense into A, a big part of my argument was when you've got Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis and Deandre Jordan all on the floor at the same time, along with LeBron James Everything that you do defensively is going to be like, okay, we got to protect the rim. We're fine with those guys shooting jumpers. Just as a general overall rule, there are going to be certain circumstances in which that's different. But when you give a defense the easy choice to sell out on one or the other, that's the difficulty of playing defense. And the best offenses are ones that force you to do both. We always talk about Golden State's ability to shoot jumpers, but you always correctly point out, D, their ability to slip screens and get layups right at the rim. That that is just as foundational. It's two wings on the same plane, and both are important, and that's where the best offenses uh, live, is the ability to be effective both inside and out. And this is my point with Damian Jones, and TB already has this Jones started to illustrate some three-point threat. What you need to be able to do is make one out of three wide open jumpers. That's my thought for Damian Jones, Mike, is that when because so many times defenses are going to sell out. You've got LeBron James driving to the basket. Maybe it's Russell Westbrook also this year, right? But whomever your guard is, if they say, okay, we're going to completely protect the basket, that leaves that pick and pop wide open. How many times have we seen Brooke Lopez wide open on that slot three? Because Giannis just washed out the defense. We have so many guys that are capable of doing that, that I would argue that even just being below average at it is so different from being not capable of it at all, like a DeAndre Jordan, that just having like the capability on a basic level is a a huge difference. And it's one of the reasons I'm more bullish on the shooting of this year's team. Even though we don't have any shooters, we also don't have bigs and, and several players who don't do it at all. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that fits. It's like a different way of looking at my whole percentages can be overrated. Uh, part of the argument, which a lot of times is reserved for a, a knockdown shooter versus a, like a 42% versus a 37%. There, there probably is a pretty good difference there. But if you get if you get down between 33 and 38, you know, maybe not because the defense can sort of react in a similar way. And it's the it's I'll, I'll spare everybody who's heard that point before. But that is kind of what I'm thinking, Pete, in terms of their if the other team has the scouting report. And of course, a lot, a lot of this will have to do with whether or not Russ is out there, but from the big man spot, they're going to still say, okay, we're going to, at least to start these games, at least until something is established, we're going to live to a certain extent with these bigs taking threes. And that includes Anthony Davis, who can mm-hmm. take a three anytime he wants to, because defense is like, yep, go ahead. And mm-hmm. there's a certain percentage, Pete, and I'll trust your math there. Let's, let's say it's 33%. And if those guys just hit those, the points per possession ends up being enough where that at some point the defense either has to shift to that or you just take those points and then you keep taking more of them and it's a good way to break a defense. Um, And if, and on the night that a guy gets hot, 
which happens. Like even for these, like these are NBA players. So even the guys that can't shoot that well, if you just let them sit out there, they're going to get hot. They're going to hit three or four in a net. And then you probably win on that night, like given that everything else goes to a a relative baseline. So um, I like that as an idea. And it's something that I'll be, I'll doing, I'll be doing in the preseason where I'll just ask Darvin Ham a bunch about it um, until, until he, you know, if it's not already part of the plan, he'll just put it in the plan. (laughs) Mike is the shadow coach the last few years. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, really you guys are. And then I I just take those ideas to the coach. Hey man, we're the shadow shadow coaches. (laughs) There's a great old clip. I can't remember what team he was playing for at the time, but it was Manute Bull. And they were playing the Suns, I think. They were playing a Charles Barkley team. It could have been Philly or it could have been the Suns. And for those of you who don't remember Manute Ball, Manute Ball was seven foot six and really skinny. One of the great all-time shot blockers in NBA history. Rest in peace. Yes. And his son, Bull Bull, is currently in the league. And I think mm-hmm. he now plays for the Magic, maybe? Or I think that's where he landed. He got, yeah. yeah, he got traded as part of a Nuggets deal. Manute got empowered early on in his career, I think by Don Nelson, to shoot the three ball. Mm-hmm. And so Manute would camp out outside at the top of the key. And remember, Pete, this goes back to all of those illegal defense conversations that we've had on the pod where like basically spacing the big guy to the three-point line, it didn't matter if he could shoot or not. It created a certain amount of artificial spacing, mm-hmm. right, because of the rules at the time. So Manute would camp above the break normally right at the top of the key and he started to hit some threes this night and he makes one and then Barkley is sort of just like bemused a little right. bit and then the he makes another one like hey Manu, yes. need a three right yeah and then he makes another one and Barkley starts to look around a little bit and then the next one he makes and he banks it in and yeah. now Barkley's starting to get visibly frustrated yeah. like what the hell is going on? And then he hits like another one and Barkley literally looks ready to throw the ball into the stands. Like what the hell is going on here? But that's to Mike's point. It's just like these guys, you hit two or three and suddenly the defense starts to, in today's NBA, the defense starts to react a little bit differently. Hell, you hit one. And if you're, if it looks like it's coming off your hand clean and you're a big guy, some less disciplined defensive players, they start to feel like, oh, well, I'm going to start to inch out a little bit more and I'm going to close out a little bit harder this next time. And then suddenly, if you hit two or you you hit three, all you got to do is almost like barely give a pump fake and that defender is flying by you and suddenly you've got a five on four situation because some guy washed himself out of the play because the guy who's not known for hitting three suddenly hit one or two and that's where having shooting bigs can be can make all of the difference in the world particularly around guys who love to attack the basket with lebron and anthony davis I was thinking about the nfl because football of course is about to start and people are starting to set their fantasy dates and you know, when you have a you have a team that's known as a high flying passing team, but they start the game pounding the run, and then the other team, there's just a certain point where the other coach just says, "Damn it!" and throws out the game plan, and like we have to adjust to this. Like this is what's, uh, and it's because everybody's watching, regardless of what all the math says, regardless of what the stats became putting in. And you know, I don't want to go overboard with this because I don't think that Jones and, and even Bryant, you know, to an extent. Who's who has actually shot the three ball well and loves taking threes and will practice them all the time and is eager to score. 
you know, I, I don't know that that's still going to be the most important staple part of the offense. And I just still think so much of it has to do with what they do with the point guard spot and how teams can react to, to whether or not it's Russ or somebody else. But it's just it's just something that I really want to hear Darvin Ham's specific thoughts about how they're going to use it. And does he see them as different? Like, does he see Jones more as the lob threat or is he sort of open minded in league with Jones and in talking to LeBron about how that can be more of a staple? Hey, you guys are going to do more what Brooke Lopez did. That's what you're going to do. Both of you. Like that's what our center spot is going to do on this team versus sort of an a la carte menu, uh, depending on where he sees that the big skill set at that time. I am very interested to hear his answer to that too. And I'd be surprised if, it wasn't exactly that. We even saw this flashes of this in the summer league. And a, a name I'd like to throw into the conversation is Jay Huff. Thomas Bryant has played, like you said, 700 minutes over the last two years. We can talk all we want about his ability to space the floor while also being strong and playing with a great deal of zeal. All of that's great. But if he's not healthy, it's not going to matter. And if we use the Bucks as a template, again, this is an assumption, but what I saw in the summer league, I think at least gives an idea of where Darvin's head is at on this. If we use them as a template, being able to protect the rim, being able to be big, but also spacing out the floor, the Robin Lopez example, as a guy that never shot threes, played one year in Milwaukee and did, I think is a small piece of evidence to this argument that yes, Jones will be asked to do that. Thomas Bryant will be asked to do that in, in ways that it certainly matters if Russ is around, but I think that's going to be the case either way. And one of the things I've been really happy about with this offseason is that I thought we walked that middle road of, you know, maximizing Russ and all of the torturous conversations we had about that while not building a team that's specifically for him, right? Like it makes sense with him or without him. And so the fact that defenses D will have to guard Damian Jones or say, oh, we're going to completely leave you open. I think that matters. Because that didn't exist with a DeAndre Jordan, and it may have with a different philosophy around Dwight Howard, but teams could just sell out over and over again to the same thing. And so just having the ability to do it at a competent level, I think it's an enormous difference from last year. I totally agree. I also will be interested to hear what Darvin Ham has to say about this, because I do think even go back to those Bucks teams and you look at a guy like like Brooke Lopez, even Lopez didn't just camp out and just shoot threes the entire time. And when you look at Thomas Bryant's shooting percentages, for for example, he's shot some volume threes, especially his first two years in Washington. Of course, we talked about his his last two seasons. But look at his two-point field goal percentage over the course of his career. 65.9% career on two-point baskets. He can score inside as well. And he can be a player that rim runs. He can be a player that gets mm-hmm. downhill a little bit because he has some shooting ability. He can show and go a little bit and he can be a lob threat as well. Not to the level that Jones is, but he can play in the paint. Yeah, Dar- Darius just he doesn't settle as some like the DeAndre Ayton from a couple of years ago, right, where he's just perfectly content to kind of turn around and maybe take that little jumper. Like Bryant likes to dunk. You know, he likes to go to the rim. He likes to he's aggressive. Yeah. He is, and he's got motor, and he wants to play with a certain amount of physicality. So I'm super interested in what the balance is, because the balance for both, even for a guy like Bryant, if the balance is 80-20, threes to twos, that's out of whack. It'll need to be closer to 60-40, 
So somewhere in there, because I think that you're losing something from the quality of offensive possessions that you can get if you tell either of these guys to only space. But as we've done a lot this offseason, we have talked a lot about offense. We did this with Lottie Walker as well. We were just like, oh, this one he could mm-hmm. be on offense. This one he could be on offense. The things that the Lakers are going to need from their bigs, I think, are still like going to be rooted in defense. And if you listen to Darvin Ham talk, like he never leads with offense. He always leads with defense, right? And he, in a way, reminds me of Frank Vogel a lot in that. It's just like, look, man, like you win by getting stops. You win by protecting the basket. And so initially, I don't want to put words in either of your mouths, but where is your level of comfort versus concern on the defensive level when you're looking at who projects to be the starting center for the Lakers? Because we've said it in the past, we think Anthony Davis is going to start at power forward, which basically means one of these other dudes is going to start. So where are both of you at when it comes to what their, not what their potential is defensively, but where you honestly see them coming into training camp at that level? My argument for TB starting is probably even more on the defensive end than it is on offense, just because I think I view this position as one that gets us through the regular season. I don't see either guy as being a player that's like Western Conference finals or a finals caliber player. A lot of times the big man position, those are the guys that play less. Uh, Daniel Tice is a good example of that type of player, right? That they really helpful throughout the season. If you watched them, he really helped them win some games and gave them some good minutes. But by the time they got to the higher levels of ball, he was on the bench. I view Jones and, and Brian, that's kind of the target is that caliber of player. And to get us through the regular season, the ability to just bang with other bigs and the ability to do just big physical things. When next to Anthony Davis, I think that's important, even if it's just the value is preserving AD or having him be the the incredible perimeter defender that he is, Mike. And so the weaknesses that I see in Jones's game in particular involve around like not not being terribly strong, but also not getting good leverage. He can be a little too high. He's that classic shot blocker that wants to block everything. This is something, these were my complaints about JaVale too when he was here, right? He get a little turned on a ball screen and all of a sudden, you know, you're getting scored on because you didn't get in a proper contain position. These are all all mistakes that that he makes. Um, And so that's okay. JaVale started for us, but I think that in our current construct, the ability to be physical with opposing bigs, I value that over the vertical spacing that Jones provides. What, what say you, Mike? Yeah, that point you just made about Jones is what I was alluding to a bit earlier, where he's a tremendous athlete and you understand why he's at the NBA level. But the feel that he shows, or I guess the lack thereof on both ends, is more problematic on defense than on offense when you don't need feel to say, go set a screen, explode to the rim, like go dunk in certain contexts. If you, if you try to ask him to do more uh, than that, then maybe, but defensively the guys that have the guy, like the, at the peak of this, right. Is Draymond or PJ Tucker or that just, or like LeBron when he's playing center, LeBron, mm-hmm. You know, that no, just know what the angle is and how to cut off for like a Caruso, that type of perimeter defender, and then just sort of know how to squeeze the offense some. And I don't see that. Jones is more like, hey, my job is to protect the rim, to block shots, you know, like just very kind of that typical what we would, would have thought of as a basic center. And offenses are just so sophisticated now and are so willing to capitalize on a guy that is trying to follow those basic 
doctrines of old center basketball that I think that's where you can get cut up. And, and Pete, maybe that's part of what you're getting at in playoff basketball, because that's when teams really start to hammer um, at those types of weaknesses. So it's and, and even on a given night, if a coach says, this is what we're going to attack tonight, you know, then that guy might not last very long. But mm-hmm. one of the ways that that guy can last a little longer is if his four is Anthony Davis and is, and if his three is an engaged LeBron. Now, again, that's, Speaking of regular season versus postseason, it's first quarter versus fourth quarter. But I do think that AD can protect that type of big a lot. And that's when you have if you have all of that springy length out there at your four or five. And even if teams think they can get the center in an action, well, they can't really account for Anthony Davis just taking one step away from the three point line, jumping, you know, 10 feet across the lane. So it's it's a nice position to be in, I think, if you can come in as the center with AD there at the four. Yeah, I guess where I am, too, is what is each player's ability to be versatile? Can they play in multiple coverages? Can they play in in different schemes? Is one of them maybe a bit less of a drop coverage guy than the other, but he can switch better? Well, does that make him a better fit? overall right because he can do a little bit more of two or three things um maybe at a diminished level rather than oh well he can do one thing really well but that's the only thing that he can do and this is where again playing with um ad especially but even lebron to a certain extent what is the comfort level for the coaching staff in terms of trying to deploy that versatility over the course of a full game versus more segmented right because the bucks weren't switching a lot with lopez on the floor but they were switching more when it was Giannis at the five and then maybe a little bit less again when it was portis at the five but next to Giannis, right and so there are stages and there is a there's a scale and at the top of the scale is when if to go back to a previous lakers championship team at the top of the scale is when like oh well alex caruso is your point guard or your shooting guard with KCP, and then there's Danny Green, and there's LeBron, and there's Anthony Davis. It's like, okay, well, you're not doing anything against that team. They're switching most things. They're going to compete. And that's different than when it's JaVale or Dwight out there, right? Where it's just like, okay, we're going to have to play drop most of the time. We may have some ability to trap, but that's going to be limited more to when JaVale is on the floor versus when it's Dwight, right? And so... That's what I'm interested in seeing, too, from both Brian and Jones is what is their malleability and what is their ability to take on more in terms of versatility within the different schemes? Because you can't just play one way in the NBA anymore. That's going to get you beat, especially in high leverage games over the course of a regular season. Sure, play drop coverage the entire time. But when you get to the playoffs, you better be able to do more. And if you can't, then you might not be playing very much. And that's where I still have a lot of questions about both Jones and Thomas Bryant. The thing I do think that they'll help us do is play big when we want to. And that's something that we couldn't for large stretches of last season due to the roster and due to injuries. We just didn't have enough big people able to do big people things. And I think that both of them will be capable throughout uh, an 82 game season. I think it's just going to help the whole thing work a lot better. Really excited about their addition. All right. We'll be back on Wednesday, probably talk some uh, NBA schedule release, but until then you've been listening to Laker film room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. 
Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tap to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.